0: Welcome to Rebel and Creates Fatherhood Field Notes podcast where we hear real stories from real men living real lives. I'm your guide, Ned Shout. Fatherhood is not only about being a dad, it incorporates providing and serving a home, loving and serving a spouse, engaging and serving in a community, as well as intentionally serving our kiddos. Fatherhood is an adventure, one full of fun, wild and messy stories. In this particular episode, we're going to hear from my cousin who's more like my brother who has listened to the last uh, 10 episodes that I've done and really wanted to come on and share his story and struggles of growing up really without a intentional father, growing up in group homes, growing up in foster homes, and the impact that it has had on his life. I think this is critical for us to continue to know the value that each of us have as we are intentional with our kids, as we work hard to become the men that our families need. And when Paul came in, he brought a book by Samuel Truitt Cathy, who started Chick-fil-A. The book is called It's Better to Build Boys Than Mend Men. And there's some statistics inside the cover of this book that uh, are just important to consider as we jump into this conversation. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 85% of youth in prisons grew up in fatherless homes. Five times more likely to commit suicide. 32 times more likely to run away. Uh, Nine times more likely to drop out of school. I mean, it just goes on and on. So as you listen to this story, these stories, just hear the heart of a man who grew up without a father who was intentional and let us continue to fight against that, not only in our own lives, but in what we will accept from society. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoy it, please take a moment to review it and share it. One final thing before we get started, you'll notice that there's a couple times in the episode where it gets a little choppy and that's due to me cutting out names or particular things that were said that we wanted to protect the privacy of others. Today, I'm very excited to have my Cousin Paul, here with me in the office say what's up Paul?
1: Hey, what's up, people? How's
0: everybody? So Paul is more my brother than my cousin. Um, we've always kind of done life together in and out, but um I love having him here, and I think this is going to be a really interesting conversation for us to have and because I know him, but I don't know everything and uh, so just to kind of get started. This is going to be different because Paul doesn't have kids, so you'll be the first guest that is not a father currently, but he is an incredible uncle to my kids and our brother Nick's kids. He's a great uncle. So let's give a little bit of framework so people know who's sitting in front of me right now. How old are you?
1: I am 33 years old.
0: And you're married.
1: I am married. Yep, I got a beautiful wife. We've been together for going on 16 years. Been married for three years. It's
0: um, a long time to be together,
1: dude. It's a long time. It's like
0: growing up together.
1: Yeah, it's all it, we're coming up on like the halfway mark. You know, half our lives. Another yeah. year, or so we'll be. Isn't that so bizarre, dude? It's crazy, man. It's crazy. Like, and it seems like yesterday. It just seems like time just kind of just cruises and flies by and and it, and it's been a rocky road and a crazy roller coaster and That's I have, she's a freaking saint for yeah. sticking through me man i'm That's a, for sure. I'm a wild child <laughs> and uh she is just she's just like she's an angel you know she's yeah. a total godsend. She's
0: awesome. She's in the house playing with all the kids right now. Yeah. Um <clears throat> yeah and just like the two of them the kids get out of school for summer this was a couple months ago they got out of school for summer. And a week before they get out, Paul and Kim called. They're like, hey, can the kids come stay the night and like kick off the summer with us? So it was cool. So we all got to go out and they had all the kids, my kids and brother's kids at their house, building forts outside and probably pumping them full of sugar, all that kind of stuff. So, all right. So now we know who Paul is. So every day you do have to get up and go provide some way for your family. So what is it that you do on a daily basis? Uh, on
1: a daily basis, um, I'm a plumbing contractor. I'm actually like. Fourth or fifth generation in the family of plumbers. That's awesome. In the Newtark family.
0: Yep, so we've called you a few times to come help us out. <laughs> yeah, and they don't pay. So. <laughs> All right, so as you know, the words rebel and create are kind of a mantra that I live by, and it means so many things, but really at its core, it's to rebel against what the world says a man should be and create the life that I believe I was destined for or created for, if you will. So it can be in any kind of bucket of life right now, but what's something you're currently rebelling against?
1: Well, there's two things. Um, currently, I'm rebelling against myself. You know, I'm a, I'm like I said, I'm a, a party animal. I'm a wild child. So like in my my deep self, I just I'm, I got Peter Pan syndrome. You know, I don't want to grow up. I just want to kind of live in the moment, be here, be there. I'm not real good at making plans. I just kind of roll by the seat of my pants and just do, you know, what whatever it is that I want to do. Um and I'm trying to rebel against that, you know, and try to button it down and and in a sense, I guess man up, you know, because I'm getting older now. I'm, you know, 33 years old and and I can't I, I mean, I can do it, but for how long, you know? Yeah. And then the other thing that um mm-hmm. I try to rebel against is the fact that that the kids, kids in this world who are already thriving you know educationally maybe in sports with their families it seems like they have the most opportunity mm-hmm. with programs they get the scholarships and they, they get to do the fun trips and the kids who are sitting in group homes and foster homes they get the short end of the stick and it should be the total opposite so in my mind I have an idea that we can change that. Yeah.
0: You have have a lot of um, passion and compassion for those kids, which we'll talk about a little bit. So as you're rebelling against yourself, let's start with that one. What are you hoping to create out of that?
1: Um, I'm hoping to create a person who I've had a really rough past, really, really rough childhood. We'll get into that in a little bit, but I want to create the me that, that God plan for me to be. Mm. And I feel like if I don't create that person, then all the bullshit that I went through in life was for absolutely nothing and a total waste. Mm. So I'm trying to create a me that can can live out my purpose. And, you know, being a plumber is great and it's been a good vehicle for me, but it is by no means my purpose of why I'm here on this earth. Yeah. So I'm just trying to create I guess I'm just trying to create the me or create a a realization of what it is, you know, that what I'm supposed to be. Yeah. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it does. And I think even hopefully and, and maybe the things that you're talking about with with the passion that you have for kids who are in group homes is that creating some more structure or discipline or focus, I guess, could then be channeled into doing something with with kids that are stuck in that situation i,
1: I want to my my dream is to create a trade school for kids that um are in group homes foster homes that are aging out because there's not a lot of opportunity for them they're 90 percent of them are going to suck in school and never go to college and the statistics i meant to look them all up but the statistics on kids that grow up in fatherless homes like i did myself dude they're they're so gnarly you know from suicide to, to prison um, Drug addiction Homelessness It's like Dude it's like Crazy statistics That, that are proven You know It's yeah. not just somebody Who felt like They're going to Write numbers down And make You know Make somebody Blow you know Blow someone's mind By reading it This is real The real deal You know So then Maybe not to jump Into it too much But to not
0: miss An opportunity is well, Let's not get into The full story now But if you could How are you not That statistic I'm interrupting this important conversation that you probably just started getting into with a big announcement during the month of November and the beginning of December, 2019. I need your help. And this is all hands on deck. I've created a daily journal designed to help dads like you and I stay focused on being the engaged and intentional fathers. We desire to be, do you ever feel like I do sometimes like you're not cutting it? You're not hitting the mark as a father. Well, my hope is that this journal would be one tool that could help you get there. But It will not come to market unless it is funded. We are doing this through a crowdfunding website where it's all or nothing. So please go to our Instagram or Facebook at Rebel and Create and follow links to our Kickstarter campaign for the Fatherhood Legacy Journal. Or you can go to kickstarter.com and in the search, put in fatherhood legacy journal or rebel and create fatherhood legacy journal, and it'll pop up and we need your help. So please buy a journal for yourself, for a friend, or for a dad that you know, we would so appreciate it because we believe fatherhood matters and we're doing all we can to spread the word and create tools that will help support dads everywhere. And now back to that important conversation you were just getting into. What was different about you so i mean kind of jumping the gun a little bit but you grew up in in group homes which we'll talk about in a minute but yeah just focusing on why aren't you in prison or like how come because you're fairly successful with your business and your marriage and
1: yeah um dude i had a grandfather and a grandmother that r- refused to give up on me and from them they had nine kids you know they're catholics from the from the fifties, so like they're breeders, you know, like and yeah. like so they got nine kids and I think like twenty seven grandkids now, which we are, yeah, which we are the them, grandkids. Yeah. So they became my mom died when I was five months old, so and my dad was kind of around for a little bit, uh, but not really a present father.
0: So let's hold off on that piece yeah, yeah, and yeah. let's go to your grandfather was the one who stepped in. And grandmother yeah, and my and were grandmother. Consistent.
1: So, no, what I was getting at was so I lost my mom and dad at a young age, but from that, I gained, you know, five moms and five dads. Yeah. Because there was, you know, aunts and uncles. Aunts and, and uncles. People who, and, and
0: so that's the difference for you then? That's the difference for you. The difference for, for you me. is that there were other people who stepped up and came alongside you, not yeah. just the group home system or the foster exactly.
1: Home system. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, to, and, you know, um, A lot of people use their past as an excuse, you know, Mm -hmm. like I've been through a lot of shit and I've put myself through a lot of shit, but never, ever have I once been like, oh, it's because my dad wasn't there. You know, I I use it as as fuel to motivate me, you know, and and use it more as like, hey, if I didn't go through all that crap, I wouldn't be the man I am now and I wouldn't have the values that I have as to some people I know. You know, they're like, oh, I went through this and I went through that. So I'm a fucking junkie, you yeah. know, or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, a victim. That's a, a vi- victim. You know, a yeah, mentality. a victim mentality, yeah.
0: you know. Normally, we would, we're would we going to jump into a story in a minute. But yeah, to, we'll kind do. Of, we'll to kind of break it up for a second, you brought up our grandfather. So <clears throat> let's share a couple of fun stories about us and then we'll get into the thick of our, our content. So when I graduated high school, I moved to Southern California to go to college. But to save money for college, I moved in with my grandparents and Paul was living with them at the time so you were probably 17 16 or 17 and I was 18
1: yeah i think i was 17 and i had like just dropped out of high school so i was
0: and you hadn't you hadn't lived with one of your cousins yet
1: Living with you was like the first time I had ever really lived with like a sibling. Yeah, you know.
0: Right. So the first time you live with a sibling, I'm 18. Yeah. And you're 16, 16 or so. Yeah. Oh, probably 15 because I'm 36. You're 33. So around that. So yeah, 15, yeah. 16. Maybe. Yeah. My so, timelines are jacked. You know. So we're living there. Our grandparents are old, and Paul is super excited to have a brother living at yeah, home, yeah. a sibling, and we would just fight all the time we would be it'd be 10 30 at night and we'd be out on the on the grass <laughs> garden grove on the grass just wrestling our grandpa would wake up in our underwear yeah come run out what are you guys doing get in the house we're like dude
1: well he, here you gotta know a little bit about rob Newtbar. here is he's like six foot five he served in the marine corps for a long time and he raised nine kids four boys who are all just crazies you know so he having us teenagers at at, he was over it he was over it he's like oh my god what am i doing you know
0: so a funny story from from this time period is we would always be wrestling or paul would come stay in my room and we'd just stay up late talking goofing off whatever and apparently
1: well sometimes we'd sleep in the same bed yeah as adults we're teenagers dude. (laughs) dude we're just
0: teenagers having fun yeah but but because of that our grandfather came to my to Paul and said what did he say?
1: Can I say exactly what yeah, he said? Yeah, say what he said. He said I he looked at me, I was in the office, I was doing I remember like yesterday I was doing homework and he, he's like uh He's like, I know that you've either given or received oral pleasure from Ned. <laughs> and I just looked at him dead-faced and I said, okay. You
0: didn't even say
1: no. I didn't even say no. I just said, okay. Oh my gosh. And then what do you do? Walk out? He just had like this look. I'm like, what the fuck? You know, like, <laughs> I just, and, and you know, it never came up in conversation and I'm sure... Until his damn death, like, he always probably just wondered, you know, oh like, were these gosh. two guys queer And you together? didn't even,
0: you didn't even tell me that. I don't think you didn't tell me for a while Oh, after. man, it was funny.
1: I Dude. was like, I didn't know what to say. I wasn't going to talk my way out of it. I'm not, you know, like, that's, that's a pretty gnarly accusation to throw at somebody there.
0: So funny. When I live with Paul, I mean, Paul's always fine on the deal. We would skateboard together. We found this old uh, these guys who sold skateboards, and we go bang on their warehouse door. Diary Skate, yeah, company. Diarrhea Skate Company, and we'd go go like barter with them to get skateboards. Um, you were part of like a fight club. People would go and, and take boxing gloves and go. Yeah, box.
1: man, I, like we would go after school to this uh, this elementary school in our neighborhood, and I've always been a pretty good fighter. Um, I, I could have been in more fights than I could count. And this one guy kept beating me up, you know, like he just kept whooping me. Like I'd go out. I'm like, I gotta get this guy. His name was I don't even want to say his name, but he uh <laughs> this is gets really funny. So Ned, I'm like, Ned man, this guy keeps kicking my ass. I can't I can't get him. So Ned goes to Fight Club with me and uh this <laughs> sounds so lame, <laughs> dude Fight Club. But I mean like this was like look this was like before MMA was even cool. Like we were kids and we wore like the light well, like, gloves. Yeah. And like we're beating Just the box. shit out of yeah. each other you know so ned beats this guy dude like whoops i'm good and we were so stuck i And i think you broke your arm fighting i broke him.
0: my wrist yeah i broke my wrist fighting yeah. him um any other thoughts or any other stories and then i'll kind of get into what i was thinking we would talk about
1: um man we had a lot of fun we used to go dumpster diving a lot oh, that's which was best. something i actually talked to today about with uh with cousin Julie, you know that that was something we were into. With dumpster diving, just go find fun stuff. Yeah, just find fun stuff. I think you, one time you found an expensive book that you actually needed for school. Oh,
0: it was uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People, Dale Carnegie. I found it in the.
1: Trash. Oh yeah, did you read it?
0: I've read it. Yeah, a few I don't times. I for... read that one. No, I have yeah, read it
1: once. I, I like put it down. I started reading it, but you got a lot of books in here actually.
0: I like books. Yeah, that's which is something I love about you too, because you are a wild man but you are a reader. And yeah, I like to
1: read. I'm reading a really cool book right now. Uh, Terry Crews, man, this guy is a superstar. For somebody to be uh, in the limelight like him and to be so open about th- the struggles that he's been through in life has really inspired me to be in this chair right now because yeah. the things that he talks about are, dude, they're, they're hard, you know, and there's things that people will take to the grave, you know, And and that's... And he doesn't... He doesn't, dude. Yeah. He he he. Let and everybody's it listening. And everyone's listening, you know. <clears throat> so I mean, somebody might not be be listening that uh, can get get a little something out of my story, you know.
0: Yeah. So here's the deal with Rebellion Creates Fatherhood Field Notes podcast is just talking to men. Typically, it's been fathers to learn and gain, but we have. We've all been affected by our fathers. I believe that at any age, whether you're three years old or you're 93 years old, you have something to say about your dad, whether it's good or bad. Yeah, yeah. And our dads have impact on us. And that's what Rebell and Create is, is to know that we as men, we have impact on people, especially if we're a father. We have impact on a life that we brought into this earth.
1: Not only that is you have impact on everybody's life. Who your son or daughter inter- counter interacts yeah, with you, for the rest of their life, and so on and so on, legacy, because the legacy, good or bad, yeah, it gets passed on, you know.
0: And so, my first question to you, Paul, is: Your father had big impact on you. Oh yeah, but not in a positive way. Mm, and
1: there's been things. It depends. On not way. in a positive way, but I do my best to. Try to make it positive. So what
0: I want to hear is I want to hear the story. And the reason why I find this valuable is for all men to hear like our daily actions. Even if sometimes we do something and there isn't a large consequence, there are large consequences. Or there's consequences to every action. They're positive and negative, but there's a reaction or something that comes from our actions. Yeah. So you're 33 sitting in front of me. You have many stories and I want to hear about how your father impacted you and the struggles that you've had to deal with because of his lack of intentionality with the son that he brought into this world.
1: Yeah, I think my dad, um, he would have made a better friend than a father, you know. And not necessarily, the kids don't need a friend for a dad, you know, like, w- one funny memory is, uh, I don't know, I must have been like 12, it was like when the Jurassic Park movie came out, and we were watching Jurassic Park, it was the one where they take the dinosaur to New York City, and uh, we're watching the movie, and they get all the way to New York City with the T-Rex, and my dad stands up in the movie theater And he's like, shouts out, this is bullshit. This is, this would never happen. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, dude, it's a dinosaur movie. (laughs) Like, it's fucking Jurassic Park. Of course not. So he took me out of the movie and we went and watched Howard Stern Private Parts. Oh my gosh. How old are you? I don't know. I mean, that movie probably came out in like 99 or something like that. I'm not really sure. I was was young. But if anybody's seen that movie, like, dude, it's like tits and ass and... It's a raunchy. It's nothing that a child should watch, and I was exposed to pornography at a super young age. Just you know, snooping around my dad's room, finding magazines and stuff like that. So it had been nothing new to me, but and I and you know I was totally into it, you know. But it was like, yeah, dude, I get to see this movie. It was cool to me. But looking back at it now, it's like, what kind of father would do that? You know, like yeah, like Jurassic Park was probably a gnarly movie for someone my age to see, let alone. Howards from private Parts. So let's start with you're born. Okay. I'm born Anaheim, California, Kaiser, April 2nd, 1986. Uh, My mom, uh, I don't know a whole lot about her. She passed away when I was five months old. Bridget. Bridget is her name. Bridget Elizabeth Newt which is crazy because when she passed away, um, her sister was pregnant. Uh, at the time, or no? It's a year later. Anyways, so her sister Crystal was had a baby and was a premature baby. She was born premature. She was born on my mom's birthday, so she has the same day, September twenty ninth, as my mom. And somehow, my mom had a lazy eye, and Bridget has the same lazy eye as my mom. It's a gift, which is man. yeah, it's 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 totally cool. And me and her super close, you know. So you're five months old. Five months old, uh, my mom dies, um, from viral encephalitis, which is from a mosquito bite. Um, so I spent my whole like childhood being terrified of mosquitoes. Like, uh, like mosquitoes freaked me out because, you know, in my head I'm like, oh, that's what killed my mom. You know, mosquitoes are bad. They're going to kill me. What's the odds are, you know, like does it never going to happen? You know what I mean? So five months old, my mom dies, um, I lived with my dad, um, until I was five years old, uh, and pretty unstable. So I'd be, he would like ditch me at my grandparents' house and like disappear and go on benders. He was an alcoholic. Um, my, like my first real memories of my dad, um, one is just vivid. Like this is my first childhood memory of my father is him carrying his girlfriend, Susie, up the stairs in our apartment complex over his shoulder and bringing her in the house and just beating the shit out of her, you know, and, uh, and, and it's, it's just, it's things you can't unsee, you know, it's there in my head and it's there forever.
0: And what did he tell you when he was doing that?
1: Oh, that she was in trouble, you know, that she did something wrong and she was in trouble. And then she cornered me underneath the, the, there's like a bar in the apartment, you know, like between the kitchen and the living room. And she just told me how much a piece of shit my mom was and, and, oh. and, uh. And as a kid, I'm like, you know, you you believe that stuff because an adult's telling you she's in trouble. She did something wrong and she's getting beat for it. And I'm, you know, I'm probably four years old. You know, I remember sitting in my bed in the apartments. There was this hotel across these strawberry fields and you could see this elevator that was like one of those elevators that had glass on it. You know, so you could see it was outside the hotel so I could watch it go up and down all night. And I remember looking at it through my tears you know, and you could see, and this is just, you'd look at it through your tears and that the tears, like when your eyes are closed, they kind of look like alligator mouth opening. Mm. It just made the light weird. So I just remember that. So that's my first real memory of my dad um, was him beating his girlfriend and then her telling me, you know, and she didn't mean it. You know, she was just hurt. She was hurting because so she was, because to hurt she was you. stuck in a toxic relationship and she couldn't hurt my dad. Right. So the four-year-old, you know, son was the one who got, you and it know. was
0: just you and your dad living together.
1: So it was me and my dad living together in this apartment, and then after that, we moved in with uh, Uncle Don, and my dad rented a house together in Garden Grove, and uh, it was a pretty cool house. There was a bomb shelter in the backyard where they had like a pool table and stuff down there, but it was a constant party, you know. Don was a party animal. Julie and I, our cousin Julie and I lived there together. Um, and that's when shit got real. Uh, and I, I wasn't going to talk about any of this, but I need to, because I listened to this, this thing last night and it talked about accountability and, uh, my grandparents had been for a while trying to get me away from my dad because he was so abusive. Um, and you know, towards me, towards women. And he was a, 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 a severe alcoholic and all, and still to this day is an alcoholic, um, and, uh, I had found these porno magazines in my, in my dad's room and it showed, you know, it's porn, so you could, you could yeah. figure it out. But I went home to my grandma's house and I had, uh, I told my grandma that my dad touched me like that. And I remember everything about my childhood from a young age. And I remember this clearly. I told her, Hey, my dad touched me in this way. And that was like, that was it. That was her. That was her and my grandfather's way to get me away from him, that he's a molester and now he's molesting our grandson and that's it. Well, it fucking backfired on everybody severely because, um, was it true? No, not true. He did. He, he did like touch my butt to put medicine on it. But the way I described it was like, yeah, you were trying to get him in trouble. I don't know if I was trying to get him in trouble or what. I don't know what my motive was. But I found a recording. uh, I don't even want to talk about that. But anyways. um, So it backfired on them. And I remember this like it was yesterday. We were having a family pool party like we always did at Grandma and Grandpa's house. um, With all the grandkids. And uh, I was about five years old. And the cops showed up at the house. And... uh, And... We were like, are we, you know, why are the cops here? What's up? And they, they pulled me aside and they want to talk to me. So they, they were talking to me and then I realized like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to be leaving with these people, you know, like they're, you're five years old. I'm five, I'm five or so. Yeah. And they're, they're coming to get me. So I asked them. I'm like, I mean, I've always been like a pain in the ass kid. <laughs> like I, <laughs> I, since I was a youngster, I was exposed to, you know, constant partying Constant violence, constant alcohol, pornography, all that shit. So, so like, at five years old, I probably had in my head what maybe, like, a 16-year-old might have, you right. know? But not the maturity to deal with that. Right. So, I asked the cops, hey, let me see your handcuffs. And I handcuffed myself to my cousin Garrett and threw their keys in the pool. And I was like, you're not taking me, you know? But they had extra keys and they took me... Um, to, uh, it's called Orangewood Children's Home. And it's in, it was, I don't even know how many kids, but over hundreds, you know, hundreds of kids from all different, different backgrounds of abuse. You know, some of them might not even had needed to be there. And my grandparents, like they raised nine kids and all nine of those kids are freaking great. You know, like they, 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 they were great people, you know, like they could have easily raised me and done a good job. But my dad was not willing to give up custody of me, so they went through this custody battle. For... So
0: in that meantime, you say this thing, your grandparents take you, your dad's pissed, so he calls the police, and then the police. No,
1: my grandparents called uh, an attorney, and they're like, "Hey, you need to you need to 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 deal with this legally." And
0: and so that means you get taken from both of them.
1: So yeah, so they got the state involved, and the state of California can suck it for forever, you know. It, they 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 took you they took me instead of trying to fix the problem because my dad wouldn't relinquish custody to my grandparents and they were no way going to let me go back to live with him so the answer was i spent you know almost a decade in group homes and foster homes and mostly group homes because i get in foster homes and get kicked out like you know right away
0: how many homes were you in
1: Oh shit, dude. I don't more than I could count, you know. I don't I was in Orangewood for a little while, which is like a it's like a hub, you know, like they get you into Orangewood. And the first thing they did uh when I got there is they just kept feeding me f- fruit snacks. Dude, they're just like, "Oh, I was just fucking chowing down fruit snacks." Like crazy, you know, just eat fruit snacks. And uh and then they they sit you with a psychiatrist or whoever, someone who can write you a prescription basically. And I never understood it until later on in life. Like, why would they do that to me? Because I I didn't ever think I need it. But they created a drug addict out of me at five years old. Like, the first thing they did was put me on drugs. And I realized, like, dude, you got 200 kids with behavioral problems in one place. And maybe one staff to every 20 kids or something like that. You You have to drug them up. Or, or it's just gonna be chaos yeah you know which 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 sucks because there's different ways that this could all have gone down and it just didn't um, so anyways I went to group home in Orangewood which was really close to um, my grandparents' house. It was like maybe five minutes down the road.
0: so you were they able to come and see you
1: Yeah, they were able to come and see me I don't remember really how long I was there I know it was real brief. Um it was pretty chaotic. Uh I was molested there. Um which is something I've never told anybody ever to this day. So there you go world. <laughs> um I I was by far treated worse in group homes than I had ever been treated at home, you know, to to that day. Yeah. Uh and it was and now I realize it was just because of something some fucking lie I made up, you know. And that's the accountability I have to take. I really do. I have to take that accountability. And like, as even as a child, like I I made up a story and it, and it impacted my life tremendously. But had I stayed with my dad, I know where I'd be because I have a younger brother who's 24 years old. And I got to see firsthand where I would be had I lived in that environment. So worse prison hooked on dope, you know, pissed at the world and a victim.
0: Yeah, and I and I agree with you and I think that for you personally it's like all right Yeah, you gotta take a responsibility for yourself.
1: I didn't put myself there, but it was that lie that it was like the straw that broke the camel's back. It was like all right, enough's enough. But you'd been poisoned. I'd been poisoned, yeah. In your mind. You know what I mean? It's like you had been exposed to just shit. Dude, just to everything, you know, to drugs and alcohol. I mean, I was like twelve years old, I, I I, my dad would take, I mean, it was kind of cool, you know, but like I go to, uh, my first concert was a Boston concert, you know, which is awesome. Cause I love rock and roll. I love music, but you take a kid there and there's a certain way you can go about doing that. You know, like, like you passing the joint around and it was like, I was more of a friend to him than I was a son forever, you know, yeah. and still to this day. So, so anyways, I was in that Orangewood group home for a little while and then they sent me to a place uh in Mentone um which is about maybe a 2 hour drive on a good day away from my grandparents and I lived there for like 4 or 5 years in that one group home and I got visitations on weekends only if I was good and they had a level system so they had like this it was called the level room and it was like a room about the size of this office which is like I don't know, 20 by 20. Yeah. Then they had, you know, like a Nintendo and all that stuff. In the four years I lived in that group home, I got to be in the level room once for a day. And then, like, I fought some kid. So <laughs> you're always getting in trouble? Dude, always. I mean, I would, I would fight anybody. I'd fight adults. Uh, at, at, like, a young age, it would take four or five grown adults to, like, restrain me.
0: Why do you think that is?
1: Uh... I don't know. Uh, you know I really I felt like well I got beatings from my dad, you know, I felt like there's nobody who could ever whoop my ass worse than him, so like you guys can't hurt me. And I was acting out, dude. I was yeah. I was like you take a kid away from everything they know and you yeah. fucking throw them to the wolves, dude. You throw them into kid like there there's no reason or rhyme to how they run their program. It's like they took me from my home to Orangewood, which is like 2 or 300 kids, maybe even more. Um and, and they, they don't do much of an evaluation on what your background is, you know, like where you come from, they throw okay. you with kids who have, you know, been molested for kids that have been thrown in boiling water, kids that have been beaten by their parents, kids that have been prostituted out by their parents. And then you throw them all in this melting pot and expect that to fix anything. Yeah. You know, it's like, what, like, come on, you know, like, what, what do you guys like? I, I, I still don't understand it. I try to comprehend it and I don't know. So then I got to this place in Mantone. So, Sorry, go ahead. Let's
0: just say there's 200 kids there at this one facility. Yeah. One place. One place. All those kids had a dad.
1: Yeah. They all those all kids had, had a dad. dad who didn't show up. Or maybe they did, or the mom was... Yeah, you know, yeah they I don't, they don't want to blame it, the yeah, don't want blame it on it the dads. I don't want to blame it on the dads, but... And some of the kids that, you know, they were teenagers, you got to blame them too. They could have had a good yeah. dad and the kids made poor decisions. My point is just... But they all had dad. They all
0: had parents. Yeah. Somebody brought them into this world. Sometimes I see a homeless guy on the corner or something and I just go, they were a baby once.
1: Dude. Like whole- what
0: happened? And I, I get there's tons of stories. Yeah. But I can't help but think, because I really believe if more men were engaged, the world would look differently. Yeah.
1: When I see homeless people on the street, I think, or even just anybody who's like someone that you might pass judgment on by the way they look or, you know, the actions that they're doing. I always tell myself the only difference between me and that person is the decisions that I make. Yeah. You know, and here's the kicker of it, too. I didn't get to share this. Um, my dad was from Boston. Um So, you're like, I already know he's kind of an asshole. He's from the East Coast. He's a Celtics fan or sports fan. So, as soon as, like, I went into the group homes, when I needed my dad the most, he fucking bailed on me and went back to Boston. And
0: moved from California to Boston. Yeah. And then would he come visit you?
1: Dude, like, for a little while, for a little while, we'd have, like, uh, when I was in that Orangewood group home... We had like monitored visits where I'd like go to a park with a social worker and he, and it was like, did you he know. ever confront you about what you said? No, I don't even think he knows it was me that he thinks, your, it. The he grandparents thinks my made grandparent it up. made it up. Yeah. Mm. Um, but i've told him yeah, yeah yeah i've told him i'm like dude i know you didn't do that i know you didn't do it you know i tell him that yeah so yeah we have had the conversation mm-hmm. but he's still he's been drunk for 33 years right, you know so what it i mean what so you he's to him. so he's stuck in whatever day that happens so when we conversate now which i still talk to him it's the same old song and dance it's like your grandparents this your grandparents that instead, he brings of, it up every time you dude, talk every fucking time and ex- instead of being thankful for like for me being who I am now and not right. a total piece of shit he's spiteful mm. and that's like I can't I can't wrap my head around it I'm like dude had you raised me I'd have been a murderer or or something you know crazy. I you know I'd have been I who knows where I'd be yeah but but anyways so you go from go I, ahead. so when I go to Mentone he bails and I lived there for four years and I think I saw him twice. Jeez. Yeah. And he'd show up and then the last time I saw him there in Mentone he showed up uh with his girlfriend and they had another kid.
0: And you didn't even know?
1: And I and I I mean like I didn't even know. And then I found out I'm like, this fucker is like he has a whole new family. I don't matter no more. You know, and to be a kid and to feel like, like you don't—yeah, like nine or ten. To be a kid and to feel like you don't matter to your father, you know, because he's got something else three thousand miles away. It was like that's I pretty heartbreaking, dude. It, yeah, dude, it sucked, and I acted out like, like I, I like I, I would pound kids, dude. I would like, I was scared of nobody. I didn't care if I got beat up, dude. I'd, I'd sit in the shower and punch myself in the face and make my nose bleed. And just watch the blood run down the, the shower just because it made me feel something, you know, yeah. a pain. It's like you feel...
0: It's almost like you were addicted to pain.
1: Yeah, it was like, it's like I can't feel love. Yeah. I'm not fucking happy because I'm in a group home, you know, eating grits and shitty ass food, you know, five, six days a week. I get to see my grandparents and all my happy cousins yeah. on the weekends and then go back to my misery while everybody lives their normal life. But everybody was now that I'm older, dude. Everybody was heartbroken for me. But yeah. there was not a damn thing that they could do. I went to court once a month um,
0: for them trying to get
1: custody. For them of you. trying to get custody, and I always and your dad
0: would just say I'll, no, just to just to.
1: He was gone. He was in the East Coast. He wasn't there. But the state of California, dude, they made my grandparents take parenting classes. It's like that's wild. It's like, dude, they raised nine freaking kids, yeah. man. Nine kids. Yeah. You're going to make these people take parenting classes? Why don't you sit down and talk to one of these kids, you know, yeah. and see how they are. Look at the kids that they're raising, you know? Like, there's there's like, there's like a whole clan of us. And, like, I'd say 99% of us are, are, all of us are great. We all struggle with shit. Yeah, everybody's life is hard. But we're all great people. Like, none of us is, like, a real piece of shit, you know?
0: So from 10 years old, you see your dad, you're acting out. What gets you out of that group home?
1: <clears throat> um, So I went from Mentone, that group home, um, to a place in Costa Mesa. Oh, and by the way, which is freaking awesome, uh, all the group homes that I've ever been in except for Orangewood are all shut down and bulldozed. There's really? one still standing. It's a nursing home. I actually broke into it a few years back because I, I drive by it all the way. My wife's family has a cabin in Big Bear. And it's crazy to think that when I was in this group home, my wife is driving past me as a child oh my gosh. to go be with her family. Yeah, that's and, wild. You know, just, and uh, anyways, we'll get to that where we meet later. But so I went to this group home in Costa Mesa and this place was kind of wild. There was like probably 40 kids there and all the rooms were back to back to back. So each room had a closet and the closets were back to back and... I devised this plan dude if we kick holes through the closets you know through the drywall we had a tunnel system so when it was lights out dude we'd go from room to room to room to room because they were all back to back closets and we would go visit our homies through like this tunnel system that we had created through you know it was just this long building (laughs) with rooms and uh, always thought that was kind of cool. Uh they caught us eventually and yeah. then boarded everything up and we reopened it and then they what they did is they screwed all this off with with drywall screws you know like they Yeah so, yeah yeah so I peeled off the we started peeling them off and I set this piece of drywall behind me and the kid from the other room kicked me and stuck about like 30 freaking drywall oh nails my into my gosh. back but I couldn't tell anybody because we would get caught again you know <laughs> So we had some wild stuff I would run away a lot um I figured out how if you pulled the fire alarm, the doors would unlock. So I'd pull the fire alarm a lot, and I'd leave and, you know, go crash out under a bridge for a night. Or, you know, just go do, you know, whatever it is that I could get away. And I'd always come back because I was just young, you know. I'd go shoplift from a Circle K. And, I mean, I wouldn't even steal food. No, I'd steal candy and shit. (laughs) That's what what I would do. So... Anyways, I went from group home to group home. I was in foster homes a few times. Uh, but I was kind of a, a wild one, so it didn't last long. Foster homes are parents or pa- people who aren't parents that um, that uh, allow kids to
0: come in their home. Allow and make, kids to come in their home, yeah. But you would do something to rebel against them.
1: Dude, totally, yeah.
0: Okay, so as you think about 10 to 20 what are a couple of significant things in that in regards to your relationship with your father?
1: Significant. Okay. So I got, they finally were like the only way they told my grandparents, the only way that he's ever going to get out of the system is if the state gives custody back to his dad. Um, so they, so they did my, I was like, I want to say 12 or 13 years old. Um, First night out of the group home, my dad. I got drunk with my dad. You know, first, very first. So night he comes out of the group in
0: home. he flies here.
1: He flies here from he picks Boston. Me up. He
0: picks you up. He picks me up. You are thirteen years old.
1: Yeah, he's now rented an apartment. Uh, oh, so he moved
0: back here to get you. Yeah, he moved back here to get me. So did which, he leave his other kid?
1: Yep. Yeah. So, anyways, long story short, first night out of the group home, my dad gets drunk. I get drunk with him.
0: So, how does that go down? He just picks oh, he you kicked,
1: up? he picks me up. We go... I'm You know, I'm not really sure exactly how. I think we probably went to the courthouse. They, you know, did all this, that, and the other. We go to the apartment. It's me, him, and his friend, John, who I called Uncle John. And, uh, dude, he beat my ass. He, like, fucking kicked the shit out of me the first night I was at a group home and threatened to take me back. And Why? I, was, I don't know. Just to Just because ha- control- he was drunk. When he, drink, when he drinks... Uh, something turns in him. He's got a different eyes. He foams at his mouth, dude. Like his mouth and the creases on the side of his lips get foamy. It's like a possession. It's like he's he's fucking evil, dude.
0: So you drink with him.
1: I drink with him. He whoops my ass, and uh, that was the first night of my free life. Welcome welcome back to the world. So how long did that
0: last? How long did living with him last? Um,
1: I lived with him for, I'm not really sure. Shortly after that, we moved back to the East Coast. And I have a picture of me and my grandfather standing in the driveway when I'm getting in the car to drive to the airport to fly to Boston. Mm. And I can't look at that picture without crying. Because the heartbreak in my grandfather's eyes and the look on his face. Of somebody you've known your whole life to be the happiest, jolliest, gnarly guy. And even when he was pissed, I'd never seen a look like this. Yeah. And he knew, like, what I was in for. You There's know? nothing he but could do. But there wasn't a damn thing he could do about it. So I Gosh, moved it, that's so hard. So I moved back to the East Coast. I moved to Boston. Um, and then I had a friend instead of a father, you know. Like, he was so weird. Like, I'd go hang out with girls and he'd be like... I'd come home, be like, Let me smell your fingers, you know. Oh my gosh. I'm just like, I never I never fingered a girl yet. I didn't even know anything about that stuff, dude. But he was putting this in my head, like, like what kind of weirdo are you? And yeah. as at then I'm just saying Ah, that's funny, like what and then it dawned on me, like, dude, this guy's a fucking creep, dude. Like yeah. this is what it's all about. So he was a super gnarly alcoholic. Um he lived with his mom still. Uh he treated his mom like absolute shit. Um I ended up I don't remember if I ended up back in a group home or juvenile hall first. But one or the other came and I remember the first time I had got arrested, I had a, my dad was beating on me and I flipped the table over in the kitchen trying to get away from him and my grandmother called the police and they came and took me to jail instead of my dad. Why? I'll tell you later. Okay. So, I had a $1 bail. $1. And the only person who could bail me out was my dad. And I had a 30-day sentence. And I didn't... He didn't call me. He didn't come see me. How old were you? Uh, Probably 13. And on the East Coast, it was uh, 21 and under was the...
0: So, you're... The I, youngest in this, maybe not juvenile, the youngest, but, but I'm close young. with uh, some nineteen, twenty-year-olds. Yeah, in there. Yeah. For thirty days, he left you there.
1: For thirty days, and it was fucked up. But I, I want to show you the, a picture of the place. But I don't know where my phone is. It was a, a retired mental hospital in Taunton, Massachusetts, and it's creepy. And it was maximum security, it's like a, almost twenty-four-hour lockdown facility. As a kid. And they, I think their goal as guards there, as a first timer, is they're going to scare you straight, you know? Yeah. So, oh, I spent time from group homes to group home. I uh, When I was in Orangewood, I kind of skipped over this. This kid peed on me when I was sleeping, and uh, I, I went in his room the next day, and I kicked him in his face with my cowboy boots and they put, they took me to the mental hospital in County USC. And it was when the Rodney King riots were going on. Um, but at that age, like I had already been on like a lot of different drugs, Mm -hmm. but I had been, I would refuse to take the drugs that they would give me, you know, like the pills and they shoot you with Thorazine, which is like a tranquilizer, knock you out and you'd wake up strapped to a bed. Uh, and you're you're a kid dude. you're a kid strapped you're to a, a bed you're a kid and it becomes normal you know to
0: wake up strapped to a bed wake
1: up strapped to a bed like arms and legs strapped to a bed and you're like I oh, don't know maybe I'll be here for a while you know
0: I think you told me a story one time about just screaming trying to have somebody come and get you from yeah. being unstrapped from a bed
1: and it wouldn't come there, there was a camera in the room and the doors were I mean I spent lots of time in padded rooms and, and all that stuff uh So anyways, back on that, Uh, I end up in jail. I've been in juvenile hall a lot, you know, on the East Coast, uh, in and out. And every time I'd go, it seemed like it was a vacation for my dad. You know, I wouldn't see him. He wouldn't come visit me. It was just like, it was non-existent. I'd get out. I think one time I was out for like two days, (laughs) you know, and then did something stupid and got got caught up and, and you know you, you get thrown back in the in the, the in the slammer so um okay so we're we're going age 10 to age 20 age 10 to age 20 all right let's speed this up because a lot happened so anyways long story short I um I end up in and out of group homes and all this shit and my dad's like finally is like I've had enough you know I feel like I'm skipping something that was important that I wanted to talk
0: about. Your
1: 16th about. birthday? Oh, yeah. Yeah, my 16th birthday. Well, Were you in Boston? No. So I'm back in California now. So my dad had, had been fed up. And uh, he so he fed up with what? The, I don't know. You know, fed up with me holding him back. Like, dude, I had to steal my clothes. I found I had climbed climb into the Goodwill bins where they have the door that like swings open yep. and you drop shit in yep. and then it closes. Dude, I climb in there to get clothes and I got social security money. My dad got a check every month for like 1600 bucks to raise me and I would wear like the Why fucking... that?
0: If he's your dad, why would he get social security? Because my mom died and yeah, I yeah. and
1: I had stuff from that and I was a ward of the state for so long. I could probably still get social security. I get free college. I could go to any school I want to, and so, have to just buy books. So it's he's kinda,
0: just he's just not doing anything. Not doing at anything to help he would, you.
1: I played sports. He would like come to my you know first two innings of baseball, and then he'd Split. say he'd say, "Oh, I'm going to go play my numbers." He played keno, but he'd never come back. You know. Then I'd end up just walking home from or walking up to the VFW and find him there, just you know pickled. Um, so, anyways, he had had enough of trying to be a dad or whatever the hell it was he was trying to do he had another son in Maine at that time who I never you know I seen like once or twice I remember vividly him beating the shit out of of him at like three years old because he shit the bed and he was like beating a three year old kid telling him how fucking lazy he is because he shit in the bed how old were you uh teen almost a teenager at this point you know like Brooklyn's age so he is. You know,
0: God dang it, man.
1: Sorry I had to drop that on you.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: It makes it real, huh? It makes
0: it so real. It's like...
1: Imagine going into your house right now and just beating the shit out of Stella in front of your whole family. You know? And they're like, that's normal.
0: Here's the thing, man. It's not only that I want people to hear this so that they're thinking about their own actions. But we as men should not allow
1: other men... To do this kind of shit, dude, hell no.
0: We should be freaking holding each other accountable,
1: dude. When my when my first memory of my dad beating that girl and and he's carrying her up the stairs in an apartment complex. Yeah, somebody else saw that. You don't and think did other nothing. people saw that shit? They could have ended that right there, you know.
0: That's the thing is, I think even though it's not the wild west anymore, and even though sometimes we feel as though we don't have, I mean, I'm not saying go out and be a vigilante, but we can't be too busy to not notice what's going on around
1: us and hold each people other accountable. People are too scared.
0: Well, I'm saying don't be scared. I'm saying yeah. I'm saying figure it out.
1: Yeah, people are too like I've seen people hit women and I fucked them up, you know? Like like Yeah, I, and I don't know that that's <laughs> but, necessi-
0: I mean maybe in some instances Maybe they yeah, taught it. them a lesson, you know? Yeah.
1: Like you yeah, know, I don't but know. But there's something. There's, some, there's we just something we can't allow. You it. You we gotta can't do allow something. It. Yeah, people so, but I think the times are changing, you know, and People are all, you know, like there's, there's like back then there wasn't cell phones, you know, like if you saw someone whooping on someone, like you go right. find a pay phone or run to the cops, you right. know, so like that kind of stuff kind of flew. So anyways, long story short. So you're back in L, El- you're back in SoCal. I'm back in SoCal. I'm, I'm 15 years old right now. I'm starting my freshman year of high school. And I'm, you're
0: living with your grandparents now.
1: I'm Uncle Don was going through a divorce or I just finished up a divorce. So he was like. The only one throughout my life, like my family had tried to adopt me like different, you know, aunts and uncles had tried to adopt me and it didn't work out. One thing, my uncle Michael, he's like, he's like my brother, my best friend, like a super huge influence in my life. Him and his wife took me, took me to a baseball game <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't know this, but it was like him saying, Hey, I want to adopt my nephew. He really could use us. Yeah. And her name was Diana. I was like, here, Aunt Diana, I brought you a beer. But it, I had pissed in a cup. Oh my God. <laughs> and she's like, Why is this kid handing me a half empty warm beer? You know? And she like smelled it and saw that it was pissed and was you like, You signed your sentence. Away. Yeah, I just signed myself off. But dude, I think that's all part of God's plan for me, dude. Like, I think I didn't. I had to go through all this stuff. I had to. And I don't know why yet. Well, I do. I, know, I do know why. But. And then I didn't. So, fit- so he, he, go ahead. Here's
0: sorry. my only pushback on that. <laughs> I think that nothing happened to you. Nobody allowed anything to happen to you on purpose. Meaning?
1: Well, my dad did.
0: Yeah, but what I mean is God. God didn't yeah, yeah, allow these things oh, to yes. happen.
1: Absolutely. I could completely disagree. Well, I completely disagree. Because look who I am now. Well, here's what you i what here's saying? what I think
0: about that. I think that. You after everything that happens, you have a decision to make and yeah. you made some good ones and you made some bad ones like I st- everybody. I still make bad like ones, everybody. You know? But the world we live in is a world of free will where you can do something that's going to impact others. Now, those people yeah. have a decision to make with what happens to them. So go on. So, well, you're... You, you know,
1: hold on. Everybody says God. God, you know, or, or people who believe that God has a plan for you. I mean, it's in the Bible. Like, I, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. dude, is like... Yes, but you also
0: uh, have to consider the context of what it's in. All my point is, yeah. is that I don't think that God said, Oh, cool, I'm going... This kid's born, I'm going to make sure his mom dies, that his dad's an asshole, that a bunch of sad shit happens yeah. to him, just because I want to see how he turns out.
1: What I think well, is cause that... because it's a coin toss, you know? That's like, I could be good or I could be bad. But man. I think so that, yeah, it's, yeah, I it really,
0: that it really... it. It shapes your view of how you view your life. And I think that we're born into a world where we have free choice to make of it what we want. Now, some of us are born into a great story and some of us aren't. But we can all make decisions on what we do. Yeah. So, I just... I don't know. This is so weird. Like, I'm having deja vu right now.
1: Me too. But I forgot totally what I was talking about. That's crazy. Anyways, I think deja vu is... The world letting you know like you're exactly where you're supposed to be at that moment. Ah. You know what I mean? Like Dude, that's
0: what's up. I've never heard that before. You
1: know, like like this is like when you know, when I have deja vu, I'm like, fuck yeah, like this is where this is I'm a moment. supposed to be. This is a moment and I'm here and I'm exactly I'm where I'm supposed to it. be because I've been here before somehow. You know what I mean? It's weird. It is weird. It's divine, dude. So anyways. So you're
0: fifteen years old. I'm 15 years you're living old. with Uncle Don. Oh,
1: so check this out. So I'm fifteen years old I'm in a maximum security lockdown, freaking in Boston. In Boston, because I had escaped. I got out from from one of the places I was in. I escaped and I got out and I ran and I was on the run for like a couple months, staying with my friend Billy, um, who's now dead. He died of a heroin overdose, like ten minutes after I got off the phone with him on his birthday, a few years back. But anyways, I was staying with his parents, so I turned myself in at the court. And uh, so now I'm in a maximum security. I didn't go outside for eight months, dude. I didn't see the light of day for eight freaking months. Once they found you? When, well, I turned myself in. Um, Why? But, <clears throat> I don't know. You know. I don't know. Just got old? Yeah, it got, it, it got old. I feel like they knew where I was. Like I feel like it was just a matter of time. I felt yeah. like it would be better on me if I turned myself in and then. Then, uh, I had a pre- pre- some pretty serious charges. I beat somebody up, and he happened to be a cop's son. Yes, um, he pulled a knife on me, and I beat him up. and They charged, and I took his knife, and it was a butterfly knife, so it was like already illegal. Yeah, but they charged me with strong arm robbery because I still, after whooped his ass, oh I stole my his gosh. knife. So, anyways, I was in uh, wow, I'm in this detention center. My dad didn't, he came to visit me one time. It was the day before I left. They took me from that place. It was in Worcester, Massachusetts. And uh, and they took me from there in handcuffs and shackles. So like when you see people in court, yeah. you know, like when they're shackled at the feet yeah. and their handcuffs are shackled, like they're tied around your and waist. And you're 15 years old. I'm 15 years old. And I'm, I mean, i ripped all I did for eight months. was like freaking push-ups and shadow box. Like I was like, a, I was cut, you know, and, uh, not that that has to do with anything. It's okay. You just want to brag a little yeah, bit. Yeah. It's all right. No, I'm a skinny little twig. <laughs> but anyways, so they took me from, from, uh, my probation officer. I can't think of what his name was, but he's a super cool guy. And you asked why they arrested me the first time. And he told me, he said, Paul, the only reason you've ever been in here is because it was the only way that we could keep you away from your father. Wow. It was the only way. And they did it because they knew how abusive he was and how toxic he was. But for some reason, they thought it was better for me to be, well, the last place I was in, I was there because I fucked up, but you know, and I had been arrested. I had been in like
0: so when they showed up because your grandma grandma called the cops because something happened in the house. Yeah. And they showed up and the cops made a decision. And they that's pretty cool. They let you in on that eventually to say. Well,
1: was, these are different cops. This is a different state. Uh, this is Massachusetts now. So, so this is a probation officer telling me, hey, dude, the only reason you have been here for so long. Because it was unsafe. Is because it was unsafe at your home and the all the group homes are like dude just we can't have this i kicked this staff member in the nuts once so fucking hard that i think he probably had to go to the hospital and only because i thought it was funny he was like and he beat the shit out of me like like pounded me he was we were playing football his name was ryan and he was a. he i remember Gosh. like yesterday we were playing football he was a rugby player he was super cool he would take me to rugby games and stuff from the group home so and you're just uh, messing around being a no nah, dude he was in the hike position and yeah. i was behind him and i was quarterbacking and it's like before he hiked it dude i just sacked him so hard i just kicked him in the nuts but like, to be
0: mean or to be funny uh, or would use it all blur well, I don't know.
1: <laughs> I think it was to me. It would be funny, you know, yeah. like that's funny. And uh, but anyways, so they take me from the air. They're from the jail to get a haircut, and they, and they didn't even uncuff me for the haircut. Like I'm like, okay, this is weird. And then they take me, and then back then they could it was TSA like nine eleven hadn't happened yet, right? So like you could walk your friends or loved ones oh, yeah, yeah. to the terminal, right? Dude, they lock, walked me through the airport through the All terminal. The way in handcuffs and shackles and then... And then they just... And then they uncuffed me and he's In like, front of everybody? Yeah, and his name was... I think his name was Mark. I'm not sure. He's from Quincy, Massachusetts. But anyways, uh, he told me, he's like, dude, on the way there, he told me like, that the only way we could like keep you away from him is to keep you locked up. But I was just thought it was crazy. I'm like, dude, I'm just a kid. I feel like Hannibal Lecter, you know, yeah. like, walking me through the airport in handcuffs and shackles. So I fly into... Uh, You fly to SoCal. I fly to SoCal. Uncle Don uh, has just gone through his divorce. He's living at my grandparents' house. Grandpa just had a knee surgery, so he was kind of taking care of him going through that. Um, It was really cool. Like that was like the first time I had ever been camping. I mean, I'd gone to the desert and stuff as a kid. with my grandparents had property in Barstow, which has always been good, you know, hub for us to just kind of yeah go go play out in the desert, play and unleash our crazy, and not have to worry about getting caught. Um, But Crystal, Aunt Crystal, they took me to Pismo Beach Hmm. um, on a camping trip. And I just, I've seen pictures of that the other day. I was like, dude, I was so white. You know, like I was so pasty. From living
0: with no sun for eight months? Dude, no
1: sun for eight months, man. You you and your brothers wrote, you and Nick wrote me letters all the time, would mail me books. And it was kind of neat, man. Um, So anyways, at this point, I had never... I'm going into my freshman year of high school and I had never been to school.
0: Didn't you go to school in the group home?
1: Yeah, but it was like a classroom with a oh. bunch of fucking degenerate kids, you know. So like, it's like you're
0: just getting through the day. Yeah,
1: you're just getting through the day. I mean I learned how to read and write, but I was okay, like so not ready for I was not ready for high school.
0: So now as we're we're starting high school, so let's kind of focus on what are some key things that continue to shape you with your relationship with your father or other men who came in to sort of be father figures for you
1: okay so don stepped in to be a father figure on my 16th birthday he told me how my mom really died
0: so hang on from the age of you can remember somebody telling you yeah. that your mom died
1: so my mom died all i you know i had always i had heard rumors you know like i that one, like I thought for a long time, like my dad hit her in the head with a frying pan. You know, like I just, I think I made these things up in my head. Like something, something planted right. a seed. He beat women. Like he was a woman beater and he didn't just beat one woman. He beat them all. So I'm like, so then you're 16 and you're with uncle Don sitting in his motor home. He tells me, he's like, dude, you got to know this. He's like, you, he's like, you need to know this. And Don and my dad were best friends. Really? Yeah, they were best. You said they lived together for a while. They lived together. They were best friends. He would pick my my dad. He'd drive all the way to El Toro, pick my dad up to come see my mom. Like, they were best friends. And uh, he told me, um, dude, your mom, your uh, dad beat your mom. And uh, she went and came home, came to the house and said that Paul hit me and collapsed with me in her arms on the front porch and had a grand mal seizure and uh, never she went to the hospital never came out um, they treated her she had just got back from the east coast so there was like an encephalitis outbreak so they treated her for encephalitis but everybody knew that what really happened was my dad beat her and and uh, it caused brain trauma you know blunt force trauma to the head nowadays they had to figure that shit out and he'd be in prison for murder or at least manslaughter. Um, so, so how'd I find, you
0: take that? So you're sitting there, 16 years old. You think your mom died from a bug bite? Yeah, a- I think at
1: 16, I think I, I think I pretty well knew like that that wasn't what happened. The so then I so he tells me he gives me the rundown, and I'm like the Newport boys are they're they're gnarly, you know. So I'm like the why I'm like why didn't you kill him? Like like that was my question to him. Why didn't you kill him? And he said we were going to. Like we were gonna kill him, but your mom's dying words were "Don't hurt Paul," you know, because I would have lost my mother. Now she knew she was gonna die, and I would have lost my father, and I would have lost everything good that I had had. They gone through with that, and I'm sure it was hard for them to not do that, you know, because they not do something to not do something. They have got away with it, probably, you know. Like, who 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 knows? But anyways, I feel like at that point I kind of I wasn't shocked. You know, I wasn't like, holy angry, shit, you
0: weren't angry, more angry or um.
1: I felt like I probably no, nah, I fucking hated his guts already. I'm like, I couldn't hate him anymore. You know, like you know what I mean. I was like, I was relieved because like I'm like, okay, now I know. Yeah. Um. Did you talk to anybody about it? Not really. No. I, I've worked a lot with youth, you know, with at-risk kids. And, and, uh, I've talked to a lot of them about it because they just, you know, you go hang out with kids who got issues in like a continuation school or wherever through probation right. they and they think just... you're just a normal dude yeah. who's got nothing to do with his life. And, and I'll sit some of them down and be like, yo dude, like I'm not just some fucking bored guy. Like yeah, I, I, I'm you. And I've been through shit and, I've probably been through worse shit than you, or maybe I haven't. You know, like yeah. some of the kids I've worked with, dude. I could not imagine. I mean, I like I to. There's a special yeah. place in hell for these people's parents. You know, that could do the things that they do to these innocent, innocent kids. But um, anyways, sixteen, I find that out. Um. So, anyways, I go through high school. I got kicked out of rancho alamitos high school which is where my all my aunts and uncles and my mom went to school i went to a continuation so you, so school. you angry yeah Did i just, go through high school nah, i wasn't even angry in high school dude i was like just want to have fun or yeah just i just want to have fun i didn't care but i didn't take shit from nobody dude like like do you remember being in school and kids would just talk shit to you yeah i just go fucking punch them in the face In the middle of class. the middle of class, middle of the hallway. I didn't care, dude. You know, I beat a kid up in the quad at school, and then he was crying in the office, and I beat him up again in the office. Like, I didn't, you know, I didn't care. Um,
0: It's not funny.
1: It's not. You know, and I feel bad, and I've looked this guy up on Facebook because... And I can't find him because I I owe him an apology, dude. Wow. Like, I I fucking humiliated this kid and I whooped his... I mean, he hit punched me first because he got bullied, you know? He got bullied a lot. And uh, when I lived on the East Coast and I skipped through this, when I moved from California to Massachusetts, all the chicks, they freaking loved me, dude. Like, I was 12 or 13 years old. My girlfriend was in high school. Like, I went to... I didn't go to school so I I could tell people that I was older and I acted older because I I had you just know been so through so much that I just probably looked like a younger teenager, you know younger high schooler them. So my girlfriend was like 15 years old and I think I was like 12 or 13. So what was I getting at?
0: You punched some kid in the face. You owe him an apology. Yeah, I owe him an apology. You got bullied.
1: <laughs> Oh, I got bullied. Yes, I got bullied. You got bullied? I got bullied bad. Because you had an accent and dude, I girls Dude, I was you a blonde-haired, was blue-eyed surfer kid from California. The chicks dug me and the dudes hated me. And I got bullied bad. Like, like I remember one point, uh, there was this, this park by my house, Crowley School. It was a uh, elementary school. They had the baseball field there. And, uh, dude, these kids were throwing... You ever seen TV glass? Like if you break a TV, an old tube TV, it's like three inches thick. Dude, there's there's like a whole group of kids like throwing this shit at me and nobody, thank God nobody hit me with that. But I looked up and a kid had thrown like maybe a stick the size of a baseball bat and just dude hit me in the forehead and KO'd me. And then I just wake up by myself in the woods later Um, in that same field. Here's a funny story. There's these uh, there was like two or three girls, and there were, they were walking through this field, and I was by myself because I'd always hike around the woods. Uh, it was right by my house, and these girls are talking all this smack, and I'm like, ah, oh, whatever, I'll fight you girls. I don't care. I'll kick you guys' asses, dude. And they come up to me, and you know the white marking paint that they mark the the lines of the baseball field yeah. with. Dude, they sprayed that shit in my face from, like, five feet away and and blinded me. And these three girls continued to just kick the shit out of me in this field, man. And I remember, like, it burned so bad. It was like my eyes were, like, painted shut. And it's, like, chalky. It's, like, weird. It's, like, not paint, but it's, like... It's like chalk in an aerosol can. Oh my and I remember running through the woods and I had a stash of beer like in this little fort. And I was pouring warm Budweiser in my eyes trying to get this uh, this, uh, uh, this stuff out of my eyes. That's just kind of a funny story. That's but hilarious. this kid I owe an apology to because he got bullied. And dude, like I left him a bag of dog treats once on his On his desk, you know, like calling him a dog because he was kind of grungy, had a beard, was just like kind of a dirty kid. But not until later in life I didn't realize like how gnarly that affected me, you know. But after growing up, realizing, I mean, I wish I could find this kid and just I want if he's still alive, you know, who who knows what how that apologize to him, dude. Who knows how that impacted his life? So,
0: so as you think, okay, so let's go back to your you know. I, I like the stories you find out how your mom died yeah I find out how my you mom died you already had just a ton of baggage from your relationship with your dad
1: yeah if... but I still questioned it you know because it wasn't from my dad's mouth the only two people who knew how my mom died were my mom and my dad you know what I mean
0: so then did your dad
1: ever admit it to you yeah when I was like in my 20s I think I was like 23 years old it was the last time I had seen him
0: So, so you, so you haven't seen your dad in 10 years
1: might be even longer.
0: But the last time you saw him... I was
1: probably 20 or something like that. Yeah. From the last time you physically saw him. Last time I physically saw him, yeah. Um, so,
0: hang on, before we go there... Yeah, yeah. Did you have much connection with him once you left Boston? So your high school years, did you have much connection to him?
1: Nah, I mean, he would call every once in a did while. Did you have
0: a desire to have a relationship with him?
1: Oh, I still do, you know? which is crazy because he's a fucking piece of shit, you know, but I still do.
0: So you still take his calls? calls you now? Um, no,
1: I block his calls. I, I don't talk to him because he's a drunk. And I, he, I talked to him like uh, three or four days ago and he always tells me, I love you more than life. I love you more than life. You know, I've heard that my whole life. And what the truth is, is you love booze more than life because I have one stipulation for you to kindle a relationship with me is to not drink. And he, he can't even do that you know dude like a couple of months ago or a year ago he called me and when he drinks he stutters so it's like I like he's like, hey son, you know I you know like it just it's like a minor stutter but it's like I'll hear two words out of his mouth and I know you're drunk and uh, I called him on I was like well when'd you get a stutter dad? you know like he's like, oh I don't stu- stutter you know I don't stutter and he repeats himself a lot. And then he called me, like, or texted me, like, a couple of weeks later. He's like, yeah, I, I do have a stutter. It's because I had a stroke. <laughs> Just making shit up. Just making shit up, dude.
0: Okay, so the last time you see your dad, you're around 20. Is that kind of the next significant moment with with your relationship with your dad? Yeah,
1: it was a pretty heavy one. Um, do you want to talk about it or no? Yeah, hell yeah, dude. I mean, I'm into it now, so let's do it. Uh, these are things that for people who are listening most of this stuff I've never told anybody. I've never talked about it. I've never told anybody. It's crazy how I thought I would need a drink. I'm like stone cold sober. I haven't drank nothing. I've struggled with drugs and alcohol for a long time because I feel like as a youngster, um, I was created, I was, I was made a drug addict by them feeding me drugs yeah. through my whole childhood. And so, it's what you saw. Yeah, and it's what I saw. So as I grew up, like I've always struggled with drugs and alcohol.
0: But it hasn't affected you. But it, what, I mean, I'm, what I'm
1: saying is, is I'm getting through this like sober, which to me is freaking huge. You know what I mean? Because I'm able to talk about this consciously and yeah. not masking anything, yeah. which is really cool. Yeah. Um, so anyways, I'm in my 20s. I'm not exactly how sure how old I am. But, um, and I'm with my dad. How did you guys get reconnected? Why he were you came down to visit me. Oh, and in the meantime... He's had two more kids. So now he's got four kids, three moms. My mom's dead. Shane, my oldest of my brothers. I'm the oldest, so he's the, whatever, the middle yeah, child. the next or, child. Or the next child. Um, and then he had Zachary and Nico, who I haven't seen in a long time, dude. And they're coming to visit me next week, and I'm so excited. I'm so pumped, dude. But anyways... um, he came down with his girlfriend, her name's... um, And me and her got off on the wrong foot from the get-go. I was locked up in... Yeah, it's called the Brockton Y. And I was talking to one of the guards because my dad wasn't visiting me. And uh, <laughs> it's such a small world, man. And I'm talking to one of the guards and I'm just really pissed because my dad won't come see me. And I'm there for months, you know? like I. And, and where is this? It's in-, it's in Massachusetts. So I'm kind of stepping back a little bit. But I tell... I tell, uh. This guard, yeah, my dad's dating this new chick. And I had never even met her. I'm like, she's such a bitch and this and that. And her name's blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, fuck her, fuck her. And this and that. Just talking all this smack. The dude was dating her daughter and went and told her all the stuff I said about Jeez, her. So when I met her, she already, I felt like she already didn't like me. Or maybe it was all mental. Because she was always sweet, but... I just started that relationship with her off on the wrong foot. Did you so. like
0: any of the women your dad was with?
1: Susie was cool. Yeah. Were um, any of
0: them nice to you?
1: Yeah, Susie was a sweetheart other than that one, uh, that one episode. That she was trying but, to hurt you. Yeah, but that wasn't her fault. Um, okay, Jeannie so f- was cool. Yeah, she was super cool. Um, she had a lot of kids and for her to kind of take me under her wing, um, Kind of like a, a son, I'm sure it was a lot for her to take on. Being that I, I wasn't her kid and I didn't like her and I didn't respect her. But she still would, you know, take me clothes shopping and, and do things like that. Um, so, yeah, she was cool. None of them were ever mother figures to me at all. I called, which is Shane's mom, mom for like a little bit. Just because I had always wanted to call somebody mom and I never had. So I started, you know, calling her mom. And your
0: face, your face right now. Are you glad you called her mom?
1: Uh, <laughs> no, fuck no. She's a piece of shit, dude. She's a terrible person. She just texted me like a couple weeks ago to never have kids. That I'm a, just a piece of shit. And she doesn't even know you. No, she doesn't. But she's toxic. So
0: how are you? Yeah. So you're back in SoCal. You're in your 20s. Somehow your dad comes. So my here dad to see comes
1: you. out with. Uh, which is his girlfriend, and they have two kids. And I think they the kids didn't come; they stayed on the East Coast. And uh, we had gone to Disneyland. And, and How old uh, are you? Oh, you're twenty. I was like in my tw- early twenties. Yeah. So they like came out 19. to see you. Yeah, they came out to see me, and it was just the same shit. Like he was just drunk the whole time. He was, you know, he was here, and uh, I sat down with him. At, Where are uh, you guys? We're at his friend Scott's house, and. I had never heard it from my dad like he had always told me I never did this to your mom I never touched you I never I never hit your mom you know but so he put those thoughts in my head before I knew because he was always denying it yeah you know what I mean but I had nobody had ever told me so like my whole life he would always deny it and then Don told me on my 16th birthday so I had now confirmation like this is you know this is what happened Um, the doctor that treated my mom like the day or two after my mom died uh, shot and killed himself so if that tells you how real it was you know whether or not it was something to go on with in his personal life or that he felt guilt for letting someone get away with murder pretty much Mm. you know so he had done that so anyways long story short I confront my dad and I'm just like, dude, I got to know. Like, uh, like, my dad's so fucking heartless, dude. Like, before I tell you this, I'll tell you another story. I had a really good friend. Um, his name was Doug. And Doug called me one day, and he's like, dude, I can't take this anymore. And I, I didn't take it seriously. I was like, I had never known anybody who'd been suicidal before. And he's like, dude, I can't take. He was older. He was like a mentor to me. Yeah, He was like a senior in high school. And I was like, you know, 13, 14 years old at that time. And he was a super big mentor to me and just somebody who I counted on. And he killed himself. And I got home later that day and my dad told me, uh, he said, this is his backwards. Your friend Doug killed himself today. He said, "No big loss, just another punk kid gone."
0: Jeez, and
1: I'm like, I'm like, man, but that in itself has helped me deal with. Like, I view death differently, I think, than a lot of people. Like, when my friend, I've had a lot of friends die. Yeah, we've
0: heard a few today. And it, you
1: know, it just it it's just like water under life. the bridge, dude. It's part of life. Do you get? But it
0: feels like it's a little. Darker than that, in the sense of yeah, but I'm like, dude, how
1: could you say that to a kid whose best friend just fucking blew his brains out? You know, and the he didn't know, but he had called me to reach out to me about it, and I blew it off. And I'm thinking, like, dude, maybe there's something that I could have done to stop that. You know,
0: and your dad's not providing any comfort. No,
1: none whatsoever. He's sitting in his chair drunk. So, anyways, I confronted him about my mom. And I said, dude, man, there's so much I guess we going to do another podcast, dude. But uh, I was just thinking about the last time my dad hit me, but uh, it was good. I beat him up really good, but I got lucky. He was pounding my head off of the tile wall in the bathroom. He had me by my ears. And he was How pounding, old were you? Probably 13 or 14, maybe, you know, young. And he was pounding my head off the tile wall in the bathroom and I pushed him off of me and he tripped over the bathtub.
0: And he's drunk, I'm assuming. Drunk, yeah.
1: He never did anything abusive to me sober. He was pretty cool when he was sober, but it only lasted until about noon, you know. Okay, so so you're
0: 13, 14, he's pounding your head. Dude, I push him
1: off me, he trips over the tub, he falls in the tub, and it was just my opportunity to unleash on this dude. And I went off, dude. I beat the brakes off this guy. I beat him until he stopped moving in the tub, like, I was hoping he was dead. And then were
0: you ner- were you like scared after? Like I went, I
1: gotta... Yeah, I went to fucking jail for her, dude. You know, which is crazy. Like who, who you gonna take a kid you're to jail sh- for beating his dad, but then I later found out like it was yeah, all they could to help do. You. So uh anyways, back to when I'm twenty in my twenties, I confront him, I say, Hey, uh I'm sick of not knowing. You know, I'm like you, God and my mom are the only people who know what happened and how she died and i i I fucking need to know dude i gotta know and uh he told me his exact words he said i never hit her harder than i did before and i was like dude that's it game over went to the bathroom didn't even really think about it much, man. I'm like, I'm gonna fucking kill this guy. You're like, you're dead. Like, I'm, I'm coming. I'm going. You are going to die right now. Like, I'm going. Like, you're dead. So you just jump up from the table. I'm and, walking, and you're just, kind of, just, just casually, and just like, I gotta go take a leak, you know. Go to the bathroom, take my shoelaces off my shoes, double them up around my hands, and I'm walking out of the bathroom to strangle him, and my cell phone rings in my pocket, and it's Kimmy, and we had been dating for like few years now, and she's like, Kimmy's my wife, um, she says, hey, I don't know where you are, I don't know what's going on, but I, I gotta come get you, you know, like, I know something's up, and I walked out of that house, walked down the street, never saw, him. I haven't seen my dad since, and I, was lost. I mean, I was 100% committed to ending his life at that moment, Kim and I were talking last night, and she said, "Will you go to would you go to your dad's funeral?" And I said, "No, I would not, but I'd go view his vo- I'd go see his body just to be sure that he's dead because I he can never fuck with me again. I mean I'm 33 years old dude, and he still gets to me. You that's know? what
0: I think is the wildest thing and and it's that it's that desire we have
1: it's vulnerability
0: yeah but yeah. it's that yes it. we but we <laughs> want we want the love of our dad at any age yeah we want the acceptance we want them to do the right thing we keep hoping you know you're 33 it's been 13 years since you've seen him but for some reason you know there's still some way that he can get a hold of you dude cause... I
1: was 30 years old and he uh told me ma- mail me a motocross helmet cause I'm like super into about dirt bikes you know excuse me and uh I knew he didn't send a damn thing, you know, but every day I checked the mail, hoping, hoping,
0: hoping that something was different.
1: And that's when I drew the line. I was like, enough of this shit, dude. I can't do this anymore. I can't be vulnerable to this guy anymore. You know, and that, that was like the end of that straw where I'm like, all right, dude, like your numbers blocked. He'll use my brothers as leverage against me. You know, like, hey, your brothers are into this. I need to talk to you. Like, I can block his phone calls, but I can't block his text messages. Mm. Um, So he would get me to call him, you know, through me caring about my brothers. So he would use them as leverage against me. And then never even talk about them. Just same old shit, you know. It's like he's stuck in 1990 or whatever year it was when all this shit kind of went down. But him admitting that how, you know, like I never hit her harder than I did before. That's awful. Was like. Was like. uh, It just showed, like, I mean, at least he admitted it. He didn't deny it anymore, you know? He wanted to fight me. He's like, dude, we need to duke it out. We need to go to the desert and duke it out.
0: What an idiot.
1: I'm like, if we go to the desert, like, you're not coming back.
0: (laughs) So your story and I know we've we've just had a glimpse you know we've had a glimpse into some significant moments of yeah, just yeah. step after step after step it's like this dominoes of of, and I don't know his story and we don't need to get into that because this is about you really but he made a decision and then he continued to make decisions and then you've been given a life and made decisions and I mean, just to to kind of honor you for a second is like, when I think of you and I see you, I know you're a wild man, but at the same time, you always have time for people. When I lived with you when we were 18, you'd always make sandwiches and go take them to that homeless guy over by the liquor store. Jimmy,
1: I swear that Jimi Hendrix, dude. To <laughs> this day, I swear that was Jimi Hendrix. He was pretty good at guitar. Dude, he was super good at guitar. He played... He played the same style guitar. He played a right-handed guitar or a left-handed guitar, right-handed upside down, which is like backwards and weird. And he he was black. His name was Jimmy and he was a ripper, but he taught me how to play guitar, man.
0: That's the thing is you, you know, sometimes I, I joke with people that you're an angel because you're always, you're always there for people. You know, I look at my own life, how scheduled I am, how busy I am. I don't always make time. Dude,
1: you're there for your family. Yeah, but
0: I just mean... You know, sometimes I ask, hey, what would Paul do? You know, and I'll stop and help somebody on the side of the road or something like that. Um, So I just want to honor you that you are a person that is available to people. And you've taken the cards that you've been dealt and you haven't been a victim. Yeah. And I think that you are a big impact to people. And I love to see that even though there's still this father wound, right? There's still this wound that's there. And I don't know what that looks like for you, but there's that wound there, and you don't have kids, and I don't know if that's so, partially because so of...
1: check this out. Sorry, you could go, go no, for No, I just... It. So, you, you call it a wound, and I, I'm thinking more like they're calluses, you know, or scars. So, if you picture, like, you're going to go to battle, right? You're going to war, dude. You got this pretty boy... Or you got this dude who's just gnarly and torn up, you know, scars all over, missing an eye or whatever it may be. You know what I mean? Like, who are you gonna pick to go to battle with? Yeah, the the guy who's seen it. The guy who's seen it. I'm the. But guy like who's you seen said it, at
0: the very you know? beginning, is right now you're looking in the mirror, and and I think that. I think that you are successful. I think that you're doing great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're looking sure. in the mirror going, I'm rebelling. I want to rebel against myself another level. I Dude, know that totally. there's more that's possible. I know that the scars I have can be used to influence others. And there's certain things that you might be wanting to shape up about your life or whatever to give you more room to have impact. And so I just want to encourage you, like even you coming and sharing your story so that we can hear the effects of a father not engaged. I mean you shared stuff today that I didn't know and that people don't know and that
1: And I skipped through like so like dude, I could go on and on and on and on and on about all the bad shit. You know, but, but there's hope, no point in that yeah. I painted a good enough picture for people to realize, like, okay.
0: But I think the hope is too, like, in my mind, all the men listening to this, we're all brothers and we all got to look out for each other and hold each other accountable yeah. and share our stories and share our scars to help each other grow. And hopefully this is a point too, where it's like you, you laid it all on the line, dude, in an hour and 30 minutes, you put it all out there. Oh, we're and not done.
1: We're got a few more minutes, right? Right. But you okay. said it all. My point is yeah, like, yeah, hopefully
0: yeah. you can leave some of this here.
1: Maybe I should leave it here, but maybe I don't. So, um, I've always had a passion for ki- for kids. You know, there's a lot of kids. Like, when I was a kid growing up, and here, maybe hopefully, there's some kids listening to this, some young adults. When I was growing up, I felt alone. I felt like, I'm the only one. My life is fucked up, and I'm the only one whose life is messy like this. The whole time, dude, I was surrounded by kids whose lives were worse than mine. Right. Who didn't have a family to go home to on the weekend, you know, or, or who didn't have this or whose parents did way worse things to them. But going through it all, I just felt like I was alone, you know? So I, I, uh, about five years ago or so, I, I started a youth outreach. Um, and we were, it's now... I walked away from it for a while to get my own life on track because it unfortunately does not pay the bills to work with, you know, I mean, it doesn't, it's sad if people will donate more money to a freaking three legged dog than they would to a, a, a youth outreach that's impacting lives tremendously. Um, so I, I use that all this stuff to work with kids, um, who, Who are going through similar things uh, that I went through. Maybe worse. Maybe not as much. Um, So that's kind of my passion. It's like I, I use it as not an excuse. Not as a victim. But as a tool for me to be like "All right, dude. If I do not do something seriously significant with all this shit that I had gone through. Then it was all for nothing. And to have it all for nothing. Like I might as well go put a bullet in my head right now like what's the point of going on any further if i don't do any something significant yeah i think that's what i mean
0: i think what i mean is you've held yourself accountable you've said this is what it is here i am this is everything that is really me i'm being transparent about who i am dude this is crazy my um,
1: friends are gonna hear this and like i mean i have a few friends that like most of my friends have no idea they don't have a freaking clue where so I came from. So then now from. you
0: can go out and you can be yourself and you can own that and you can go start the trade school and you can go start working towards those things and impacting those kids' lives in a way that you wish you would have.
1: Yeah, if anybody's got like a couple million dollars out there they want to throw my way, I want to start a trade school for uh, kids that are aging out of group homes and foster homes or just even at-risk kids who don't have an opportunity um for every 25 contractors that are retiring right now, there's one to replace them. There's a shortage of tradesmen. I'm a contractor in, you know, in Nevada County, California. And a lot of my friends are as well, including our brother, Nick. Um, and we can't find good help, you know, and there, there is an opportunity for kids that are in group homes. Um, to learn a trade or to learn so stuff. To do something with their hands. Dude, and they're not going to go to... They're not... I mean, I don't want to shoot anybody down, but more likely than not, like, they're not going to go to college. Like, they they don't have the the, the skill set that it takes, the discipline and the stuff to do that. Well, they
0: probably could be trained on the discipline, but they've been yeah. maybe cheated out on, on some of the school stuff.
1: Yeah, on the education. So, like, to be a tradesman... Is huge, you know. Like it's been a great vehicle. I get to help people every single day, you know. And so many times I'm in people's homes, and I'm like, dude, I'm not here to fix this lady's water heater. Her husband died two days ago, and she's heartbroken, and she's all alone, and she needs me to talk to. That's what I mean. Is you find things like that,
0: like every week, you you have something come across your plate that you're able to bless somebody by being. Available,
1: Dude, yesterday I was on a job site, and I had never met this guy before. He was a a carpenter. And uh, I said, hey, what's up, man? I'm Paul. How you doing? He's like, oh, I'm all right. You know, I had a long night. And I was like, oh, is it like a long good night or like a long, just a long night? He's like, no, it was a long bad night. So as I was leaving, I was like, hey, dude, I don't know you. I don't know nothing about you. But whatever it is that you got going on in your life, and I can tell you have you know, something heavy on your heart that I hope you get through it, you know, and for a man on a job site to yeah. pull another man aside and yeah. be like, Hey dude, like, let's have like this moment real quick. You know, he totally opened up to me and was like, um,
0: shared some stuff. Dude,
1: he shared some stuff. His his son had ruptured his spleen the night before playing basketball and was in ICU. I think his brother-in-law was dying of cancer in his house, like slowly. Um, his brother just got diagnosed with cancer. This dude had a whole lot of stuff on his plate. Dude. I
0: think that's one of the hugest things as men is just to be vulnerable, vulnerable to ask what's, how are you? And then vulnerable to respond and be honest.
1: Yeah. Be honest, dude. Like we need it. Like this whole, like, uh, Oh, I'm weak, or I'm a I'm a sissy if I talk about my problems. Like it's stupid. Like it takes more of a man. Oh heck yeah, dude! You want to hear a man talk about his problems? Like Terry Crews, dude. That guy. I mean, he's done. He he's lived a life a lot similar to mine, but he's a successful person who's very influential, who's a freaking beast, you know? Like he's gnarly, and he's sharing like his most deepest darkest darkest secrets with the whole world. And that to me is more manly. I think it takes a real pussy to keep that stuff, you know, cooped up inside than it is to share it with the world. Yeah, you know, some things are hard for people to uh, to talk about. You know, and I'm not meaning that you're a sissy in that as- aspect of uh, not wanting to talk about it. But I think it's I think it's tougher and more manly and more gnarly to to just put break down your wall. You know. Yeah.
0: So I'm going to ask you a few questions to end this and um, I want you to take a second to think of it and then maybe we'll use some and we we won't use them all. When you think of the word fatherhood, what do you think?
1: Oh man. In
0: a short, short answer.
1: What do I think? Okay. First of all, fathers, your kids need a father, not a friend. Hmm. I think that's a huge misconception in fatherhood. I see it a lot, especially with teenagers. You know, I think fatherhood is, is it's hard for me to say because I don't, I'm not a father and I don't, I, you know, I didn't grow, obviously didn't grow up with the best one, but I had a great grand, uh, my grandfather was amazing. um And I feel like just being real with your kids, you know, but not being their friend, yeah. being their father.
0: Okay. Think about this for a second.
1: Okay.
0: Is there anything as you're kind of just laying it all out there? that you need to apologize for.
1: Oh. Oh, man. To, to like, to who? Yeah, man, this kid. Yeah, so much. Are you joking me? Um,
0: You don't have to be specific. It could be general.
1: Oh, man. You're a bastard, dude. For real. Like, there's, there's a list is going... Um, so I guess if, if you have a list in your
0: head, so hang on, you have a list in your head and everybody in here, everybody was in here at one time and you looked around the room and you saw the faces of the people that you feel like, what what would you say? What would you say to them?
1: I would, I feel like I would apologize to anybody who ever felt that I was ungrateful for the sacrifices that they made to try to raise me because I was bounced around you know like from family member to family to grandma and grandpa to Dawn to your mom and dad and I was a little shithead you know and and it's a huge sacrifice to take on a child that's not yours
0: and you didn't know how to respond
1: and I didn't know how to respond and I didn't know how to show appreciation one thing comes into my head and I've apologized to your parents for it like so many times but I still feel like I have to apologize uh And your dad got back at me for it, too, so he's probably over it. Um, I was pissed off at your parents. We were arguing about something, and I split out of the house on my dirt bike, which, you know, we weren't supposed to ride on the street, but I took off out of the house on my dirt bike. And when I left, I kicked the trash cans over out of the driveway. We kicked trash all over the street and just fucking, like, ripped a wheelie down the road and took off. And when I came home, your dad had trashed my bedroom. Like he just was like, <laughs> dude, he like, he like, he that. like threw everything all over the place. Like flipped the bed. Like he's like, okay, you're going to trash my shit. I'm going to trash your shit. It was their anniversary. Jeez. You know? And I didn't know. And I didn't give a shit, you know? And I'm sorry for that now. Like, and I'm, they know that I'm sorry. Yeah. And they're probably so over it, yeah. but it, it eats heavy on my heart still. But you that's know? the
0: thing is it shouldn't be anymore.
1: Yeah. But it is, you know, it is. But yeah, I think if I had so to. Then what's apologize for one thing is for if anybody ever thought that i wasn't appreciative of the sacrifices that they made to make sure that i didn't end up another statistic
0: because you're saying that in spite of all those things the love that you did get shown whether you responded well to it or not is what has you here grateful now
1: yeah super grateful so what are the top
0: three things you're grateful for
1: Oh man, I am so grateful that my, that my grandparents never gave up, you know, they never, ever gave up on me. No, I mean thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in lawyers and, and just time and, and just like, it could have been so easy for them to just be like, dude, the state's got them. All is good. We got, you know, 26 other grandkids we can worry about like they, for not, for them not giving up on me, dude, I'm so grateful for that. Like your, your mom and grandma are the only mothers that I've ever known, you know, by by far. And, uh, I think that's really cool. But when grandpa had died, his last thing that he said to me was to make sure that I take care of Kimmy, Hmm. you take care of Kimmy.
0: We were blessed with a killer wife, dude. Oh dude, she's a saint. So
1: you had three questions. I only got two.
0: But the other one was going to be, what are you most grateful for? but you kind of answered that.
1: Oh, what am I sorry nope. for? What am I grateful for? What okay. One?
0: Who do you feel like you need to forgive? Um,
1: man, myself, hmm. you know, I hold Dude, on. I to would 100% agree
0: guilt. with you. I didn't even <laughs> think of that as an, I mean, I didn't think of anything as an
1: answer myself you know and I learned this just last night kind of not not necessarily learned it but I think if I had to forgive anybody I'd have to forgive myself because I've done a lot of really fucked up things to some people um and I've done some bad things to people who are very close to me Mm. and I hold on to some to a lot of guilt you know for it and that and yeah, I think I'd have to forgive. I think I've pretty much forgiven everybody else. So but you, but said, yeah, myself, you said yeah.
0: you think you should. Yeah, for sure. So what do you think?
1: I mean, don't ask me for what?
0: No, no, no. We already shared <laughs> enough. I I mean, and this isn't, this is just us talking, right? This yeah, is yeah. Us sharing stories to show that our that we have impact. But you said you should forgive yourself. Are Am you, I going to?
1: Yeah. What does that look like? How and maybe do you, you don't have that answer. Dude, but maybe, that's the, that's maybe that's some, the, that. When you asked me that question, was the first time I had ever thought about it in that way. You know, like who should I forgive? And I'm like, I feel like I've forgiven everybody. Uh, that. That I that I can, and my dad tells me all the time, like, you please forgive me." I'm like, "Dude, I did, but it's not about you. It's about me. I gave, I forgave you, and now I'm done with you, dude. Yeah, you yeah, know, can't like, let you in. Here yeah, you're anymore. yeah, you're not coming in no more. Like you're here, you're gone. And I'm like, I blocked your 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 numbers. Like I don't want to talk to you, but to forgive yourself. Man, I, I we'll have to catch up on that one, you know, because I don't know how sometimes... Some of the things I've done, I'm like, I don't know how I could forgive myself for, you know. Yeah,
0: I think sometimes maybe we have to forgive, but it doesn't mean we have to forget it. Never forget, dude. Because it shapes who dude. you are and how you respond next time.
1: Yeah, forgiveness is one thing, but for do not ever forget things, yeah. especially if they're huge, even bad, you know, like you got to remember who you once were yeah you know because it is part of who you are now
0: yeah well all right dude dude i love you you're my brother Love you too, you man. are a lovable person my kids all love you your willingness to be vulnerable i think continues to show one men that we need to be vulnerable two we need to be available to each other to stop and share our lives because it connects us And we grow from it to show us that our decisions matter. They matter, whether it's at the scale we're talking about now or at a small scale, like every day we are building a legacy. And you have said that you're gonna break. You're breaking that. You're breaking this this toxicness that you felt like come through to you. Yeah, yeah. And as men, we are building something. We are shaping humans, and we get to play a part in people, even when they're 33. So even if you're a dad who wasn't good and was absent and you know, spend the rest of your life making it right.
1: Dude, and maybe instead of trying to seek forgiveness from the people you or the kids that you burned or or the, the, the people you've wronged, maybe try to forgive yourself some way or another, you know? And Dude, I, that's huge. You know, I don't
0: I think that I think that men are too hard on themselves. Yeah. I mean Not that we don't need to take responsibility. We do. We need to be accountable and we need to take responsibility. Yeah, But we need to be willing to learn from that and move forward. Not make the same freaking mistakes again, right? Because then you're just full of shit. Yeah. But Like
1: a dog that eats its own puke, you know? Forgive yourself
0: and move on. So I think that is some huge words of wisdom from Paul. And I thank you for sharing your story. And I love you, and I hope that men everywhere are encouraged in a lot of different ways. But I love how you ended it with thinking about forgiving yourself.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know where that came from. You kind of just put me on blast, and it was like the first thing I could think about. We yeah. done? Yeah, we're done. so, I it's I so, hot. so <laughs> Wow. Uh,
0: I think damn, like that's the only word that really comes to mind uh, I just love that ending with Paul sharing about forgiving ourselves. I think that's so powerful. I think that as men, much of the time we carry around this guilt for things that we have done, people who maybe we were in the past and, and maybe we have reflected on that and we've changed but we haven't always forgiven ourselves so we carry this guilt around. I think that is something worthy of pausing and looking into and seeing if there's things that you haven't forgiven yourself about so that uh, you can forgive yourself and not forget because we never wanna go back and be that same guy, but be able to move on and not carry heavy guilt uh, around with us so we can't live to our full potential. I really think that the value of listening to Paul's stories just show us how life can go where the the river of life can take us when fatherhood is not a part of it or when fatherhood is and it's another broken man you know so the work that you and i do to put into our lives to become the men the fathers that our world needs is gonna have just significant impact in the other direction. You know, now it's up to Paul to either be the uncle or maybe one day the dad that he didn't have and break that, you know, th- that cycle that he had found himself in. And so I just encourage you guys to reflect on who you are, reflect on where you've been and be the fathers that you were designed to be. So thank you to all you dads out there listening to Rebellion Creates Fatherhood Field Notes podcast. What you do truly matters. Don't be like everybody else. Be yourself. That is who your kids, spouse and community needs. This is your guide, Ned Shout. Together, let's continue to rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in the craft of fatherhood.